I want to welcome all of you watching online. We are continuing and actually finishing our series this morning uh, called Dealing with Doubt. And uh, uh, I believe and I trust that God is going to speak to you this morning. And I'm excited about some things that we're going to learn and that we're going to be encouraged by. I want to give a quick reminder of where we've been, a little bit of a recap. Um, At the beginning of this series, uh, we talked about how all of us in life are going to go through some valleys. We're going to experience some hardships. We're going to experience some difficulties. But we were reminded that God is with us even in the valleys. And one of the most famous um, scriptures is, um, even when you walk through the darkest valley, the valley of death, God will be with you. And then last week, we looked at the story of Thomas. And he uh, struggled with doubt to the point where he is nicknamed Doubting Thomas. That's what uh, Christians refer to him as. And uh, we learned that, um, man, even Thomas was able to deal with his doubt in a way that honored and glorified God. This morning, we're going to learn a biblical prayer language that will actually help you to deal with your doubts. It will give you some tools to deal with the doubts and the questions that we all struggle with. And, you know, one of the challenging things about church is sometimes you can actually walk into church And it feels like everyone has it together, all right? It feels like no one is struggling with their faith. No one is struggling with these hard questions. It feels like uh, no one else is hurting. Meanwhile, you on the inside, like you are hurting. You are full of questions. You're, You're struggling with all these doubts. The reality is, is people can often feel very lonely at church. Like even in a room full of people just like this, people can feel very lonely. The reality is as a society and in church, we we often try to avoid suffering as much as we can. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us would be like, man, sign me up. Like this afternoon, I just want a big dose of suffering and pain. Like bring it on. That's what I want for my life. Like none of us would say that. We, we try to avoid suffering. We, we try to avoid pain. But the reality is, is in life, oftentimes there's pain and oftentimes there's suffering. So Christians, like most people, we can tend to hide behind this thin facade of happy. Like, woo, I just got it all together. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Good. Good. I said good like 36 times this morning. All right. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. All right. And, and we, we can hide behind this thin facade. We can put on a front while just under the surface lurks a lot of pain, a lot of questions, and a lot of doubt. But once again, it's important. And I've been trying to remind us throughout this whole series that everyone doubts. Everyone has questions. Christians doubt. Atheists doubt spouses doubt like do they really like does she really love me does he really love me or are they really being faithful to me like we we all struggle with doubts at different times and today I want to start by asking a simple question and the question is this what causes us to doubt our faith and I I think there's a whole lot of reasons that can cause us to doubt our faith but I want to just kind of pick on a couple big ones that I think 
um, most people generally, when they start struggling with uh, maybe having a crisis of faith or when they start doubting their faith, these are some big ones that may be the cause. But I would say, first of all, one of the big ones would be just looking around on this planet that we live on and seeing the suffering and the injustice and, the, and, and sometimes the horrific things that happen in this world that we live in. And it can cause us to get to this point where it's like, really? Like, is God really good? And we begin to doubt his goodness because how can a good God allow this pain and this suffering? Another thing that can cause people to doubt is a lack of a personal encounter with God. A few years ago, there was a a massive study that was done across our country, and it was called Hemorrhaging Faith. That was the name of the study. And it was a study that was done basically kind of targeting young people and trying to find out why are so many young people, especially teens, and, and sometimes as young as middle school, why are they leaving church in a major way? But this study was also a a very hopeful study because it showed a couple key elements of what keeps young people participating um, in their faith and what keeps them active in their church. And um, one of the elements, one of the primary elements that kept young people, you know, fired up about their faith and kept them involved in the life of the church, one of the elements was mentorship or discipleship. It was actually the love of at least one person older than them. It was someone in the church, not a family member, but someone in the church that invested in them, that showed love to them, that poured into them, discipled them, mentored them, that helped young people to go, man, this is real. Like, this keeps me fired up about my faith. This makes me want to be more active at church. The second thing that kept young people's faith vibrant was a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It was young people saying, I believe in God because I saw God move in my life. I saw God do things that only God could do. And it kept young people fired up about their faith. So listen, one of the things that can cause doubt in our life is actually this feeling of not experiencing God. Like maybe, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, and you have this feeling that you're like, man, I just, sometimes God doesn't feel real. Like he doesn't feel real to me in this moment. And it can cause us to question. It can cause us to doubt. There's a couple reasons why this might be, and I just wanted to highlight a couple. One is perhaps you've never invited Jesus to rule and reign in your life. You you may not have this personal encounter with Christ because the Holy Spirit of God is not living inside of you. Maybe that's why you feel this disconnect. And by the way, the invitation is always open for you to encounter Christ for yourself. It's always open. Another reason that may cause a lack of connection with God is is what uh, many people have referred to as a dark night of the soul. It can be a a time in our life where you feel like your faith is just hitting a wall or your prayers are just hitting a wall and you feel stagnant, you feel kind of stale. 
in your faith and you're not fired up, you know, about reading the scriptures. I mean, it takes all the energy that you can muster to get up in the mornings and to open the Bible. You're not really fired up about connecting with other believers. You're you're not excited about going to church. Some people go through a dark night and it causes them to doubt. It causes them to question. Another reason that can lead to doubt is a misunderstanding of who God is. Another way to say it would be uh, bad theology. I'll give you an example. If you believe the primary thing that God wants to do in your life is to make you prosperous, like to make, make your life like every day just go perfectly smooth and well and that He's going to make you wealthy. You see, when God doesn't do that, then it leads you to question and to doubt. But that's a misunderstanding of who God is. God has never said, I'm going to bless you with all this wealth here on earth. He's never said that. So you can misapply theology and have a bad understanding of who God is and it leads you to doubt. It leads you to question. But probably, in in my opinion, the most dominant reason for doubt or what causes doubt is personal suffering. Like I think... We all know, like, man, I know there's bad things that happen on this planet. There's bad things that happen in this world. But when you experience something hard or tragic or just, uh, you know, you go through some suffering personally, when it hits you, it can lead you to question. It can lead you to doubt. And listen, I've I've stated this before, and I want to say it again. We here at Grace Church, we want to be a church that is a safe place place for people to come in and share their doubts for people to come in and they're full of questions and as a church we don't want to be afraid of people's questions we don't want to be afraid of people's doubts if you remember last week i challenged us to commit to god's timeline not our own timeline because unfortunately a lot of christians have fallen for the trap where they they want to fix people now like You know, they came to faith after they had a ton of brokenness in their life, but their brother or sister or their mom or dad or their aunt and uncle, they want to fix the brokenness in them like right now. But I was trying to encourage us, let's commit to God's timeline. It takes time. I mean, God, my gosh, like God has given us examples to learn from. Like if you took an apple seed today and you planted it in the ground and you expect to pick apple from that tree tomorrow you are out of your mind right it takes time it takes time for that seed it actually has to die first in the ground and then it begins to uh, do what it does and it begins to grow and you water it and you nurture it and over time it bears fruit so i want to remind us and i want to encourage us let's be a church that isn't in a rush That isn't in a hurry. And we're giving people space to ask the hard questions, to grow, to actually fail, to go forward two steps and maybe one step back. You know, it's like we give people space for the Holy Spirit to do the work that we cannot do. 
Let's commit to God's timeline. Remember, Jude said, have mercy on those whose faith is wavering. My gosh, let's let's show a little patience. Let's, Let's be kind. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in His timing. For our remaining time together, I want to talk about this biblical prayer language that will encourage you and help you to deal with your doubts. And I think, personally, I think a lot of Christians are terrified to voice their doubts. I think a lot of people think it's actually unchristian to question or to doubt. And I think a lot of people think it might be uh, more faithful to shove those doubts down and to try to hold them in. But listen, you've got to have a release valve. Otherwise, the pipes are going to burst, right? You've got you to be able to express those questions and express those doubts. You need to be able to work through them. Timothy Keller, he's a pastor, he says this. He says, a faith without some doubt is like a body without any antibodies in it. People who go through life too busy or too indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. And we would do well to do that together in our small groups, in our conversations in the lobby, when we connect to say, man, I'm I'm struggling. And to, to voice that to a trusted brother or sister in Christ. And we would do well to use God's word as our guide. Listen, the... The biblical prayer language that I want to show you is the language of lament. We're going to talk about lament this morning. So what is lament? One third of of the 150 psalms in your Bibles are lament. So if if you were to take your Bible and you just kind of dropped it open and let it fall at the halfway point, most likely it's going to fall to the book of Psalms. And these are songs that were written, most of them written by David. But a third of these songs are lament. And these are songs that the Jewish people would sing. They would gather collectively and they would sing songs of lament. And I think lament is a missing part of of many of our lives. You see, the first thing that you do when you come into this world is you cry, right? When you're born, you cry. And most likely... (laughs) When you die, people are going to recry, are going to cry. There there might be a few that rejoice, but there's going to be some that cry, okay? But listen, to to cry is human. But to lament is actually uniquely Christian. Lament is actually twofold. We, We live... In the reality of a sin-fractured world, we live in the midst of brokenness every single day. First of all, when we lament, we, we lament over the brokenness in our lives and the brokenness of our world. That's what it means to lament. We're heartbroken over the brokenness that we experience, that we see. 
But there's another part to lament. When we think of lament, we often think of it kind of very negatively, or we think of these really uh, sad feelings or these hopeless feelings. But I, I want you to understand lament, okay? There's two, two parts to it. The second part of lament is actually full of hope. It's full of hope. You see, Jesus came, the Scripture says, as a man of sorrows acquainted with our deepest grief. Like Jesus experienced the depths of our pain. He knows what you're going through, what you're facing, and what you're experiencing. He knows it to the nth degree. Jesus knew about the brokenness of our world better than anyone, and He came to deal with it. You see, Jesus came and He addressed the greatest problem in our world, and that's sin. And the Scriptures tell us that He will come again, He will make everything new, and there will be no more sin, there will be no more suffering, no more death, but not right now. And we're living in that time period of Not right now. It's coming. Like, please hear me on this, church. It's coming. But just not right now. You see, part of lament is a Christian crying out, why not now, God? Why not right now? So lament is actually... A biblical prayer language that addresses the pain that we experience, the pain that we see in our world, but it's filled with hope. Lament is this space uh, we're living in between reality and hope, between pain and promise. Paul Miller, he put it this way in a book called A Praying Life. He says, there's no such thing as a lament-free life. To love is to lament, to let your heart be broken by something. If you don't lament over the broken things in the world, then your heart shuts down. Your living vital relationship with God dies a slow death because you open the door to unseen doubt and become quietly cynical. Cynicism moves you away from God. Lament puts you into His presence. So oddly enough, not lamenting leads you to unbelief. Reality wins and hope dies. To put another way, the reality of a broken world triumphs over the new reality of a redeemed world. You miss the resurrection and you get stuck in death. Listen, lament is the road of saints. It's a road of broken, honest people. Imperfect people who are willing to be honest with God. That's what God desires. He wants you to be authentic. He wants you to be real. He doesn't want plastic. He doesn't want fake. He wants you to be genuine with Him. It's people who trust in His salvation. So there's four elements of biblical lament. I would encourage you to write this down. I I trust and I believe it's going to encourage you and it's going to help you deal with your doubts and your questions. So I'm going to share the four elements with uh, with you and then we're going to look at them together in in Psalm chapter 13. Okay, so that's where we're going to be at this morning. 
So here they are, the four elements of biblical lament. Number one, turn to God for help. It has to start there. Turn to God for help. Number two, bring your complaint to God. Number three, ask boldly for God to act. And then number four, choose to trust in God. You could summarize it this way. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. So let me read Psalm 13, and then you see if you can identify those four things. This is written by David, Psalm 13, verses 1 through 6. He says, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So, first of all, you need to turn to God for help. King David says, How long, O Lord, are you, are you going to forget me? How long are you going to look the other way? Listen, it, <laughs> it takes faith to pray. It especially takes faith to pray in the midst of pain and questions and doubt. Talking and expressing your questions is better than silence. I mean, we all know those of us that are, you know, have been in a relationship or are currently in a, in a relationship, we, we know that a relationship is on the rocks when there's been silence for a long period of time. You know that relationship is not healthy. So it's actually better, even if it's somewhat frustrating, it's better to start talking again. You see, lament is actually pouring out your heart to God, and that takes faith, it takes courage, it takes some guts to do that. And this is important because I, I know, I know some of you that are here this morning, I know some of you watching online, you've you're experiencing that dark night of the soul. You're experiencing a crisis of faith. And you've gotten to the point of frustration where you don't pray anymore. You, you don't communicate with God anymore. And I'm, I'm encouraging you this morning. Look to David as an example and look at his honesty. Look how honest he, he is with God. And he says, oh, Lord, how long? Are you going to forget me forever? That's, that's, that's pretty raw. That's, that's pretty honest. And I want you to know that's a good thing. <laughs> it's, it's written in the Bible as a model for us to follow. An example. Secondly, biblical lament, lament is bringing your complaint to God. So David basically asks two questions. He says, where are you, God? And then he says, why is this happening? And so listen, it's, it's healthy to bring your complaints to God. And for David, he knew these things were not true. 
but they felt true, right? He knew that God hadn't forgotten about him, but it felt like God had forgotten about him. And that's what makes us human. As humans, we have very powerful emotions, but I want to remind you, feelings are not facts. Had God really forgotten about David? Of course not. But it felt that way. You may may know that God is trustworthy, but it doesn't feel like He is. You know He's going to keep His promise, but you wonder like, God, really? Are you going to? It doesn't feel like He's keeping His promise. You know He's faithful and true, but you wonder, and how in the world is this going to work out? You live in the tension between God's beautiful promises and the reality of your life. And that middle space is lament. I think we usually think of complaining to God as always wrong, but that isn't always the case. And it can't be because the Bible is full of people expressing their complaints to God. Now listen, I'm not advocating that we disrespect God. I'm not advocating for anger towards God or um, accusing God of doing wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I think there is a line that we can cross that is definitely sinful. But I'm simply talking about bringing your complaints to God and bringing your your emotions, your, your rawness, you know, to God. Remember, it was on the cross when Jesus cried out and He said, My God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? While he was hanging on the cross, he lamented. Did Jesus really think that God was going to forsake him forever? No. But the words of Jesus gave language to the emotion and to the pain that he was experiencing in that moment. In that moment when his father turned his back on him. In that moment. Listen, God already already knows what's going on in your mind. He already knows what's going on in your heart. So talk to Him about it. Man, be, be real with Him. Thirdly, ask boldly for God to act. Verse 3, David said, Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. That's, that's pretty bold. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. You know, when any of my four boys ask me questions, and they ask me questions honestly and sincerely, I'm always inclined to listen to them lovingly. Like I, I want to engage with them. I want them to ask me questions. I want to relate. I want to have conversation. I want that. Even if they ask big things of me, You see, our God is referred to as our loving Father. So bring your questions to God. Listen to what David says in Psalm 86. He says, Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. 
Once again, it's in the Bible as a model for us to follow. David was asking, hear my prayer. Answer me, protect me, save me, be merciful to me. Give me happiness, God. So ask boldly for God to act. And then finally, number four, choose to trust in God. All right, so this is where it actually gets more difficult. (laughs) This is a real turning point in the process of lament because this is where you have to make a choice. Where you can either get stuck in death or you can actually look to the resurrection. In the scriptures, it's typically marked by the word but or yet. You'll see what I mean here in just a moment. So once again, this is a movement from complaining, asking boldly, to where you make a decision to trust in God. So look, look at Psalm 13. Let's go back to Psalm 13. Catch this. David says, don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Excuse me. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But, there it is. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So lament is a prayer in pain that leads to the decision to trust God. What I'm trying to say is you're going to take your complaint. You're going to ask boldly, but is God going to tie it all up in a nice little package with a beautiful bow and say, boom, it's all settled for you. It's all figured out. No, it's not going to happen that way. So you make the decision. I don't have all the answers. I still have doubts. I still have questions. But I'm going to decide to trust in God. I'm going to decide to trust in His goodness. You see, lament reminds us that God is worthy of our trust. And listen, suffering does not mean that God has forgotten about you. Suffering does not mean that God has forgotten about His people. He's at work even though we cannot see it. And again, back to the most famous lament when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he cried out from the cross, it would have appeared like all hope was lost. All those onlookers, man, his followers, they were like, that is the Son of God who is being put to death. It's over. It's done. And yet, it led to the greatest moment of redemption ever. Listen, we can't always understand what God is doing But when we look to the cross, we are reminded again and again that hope is not lost. When we look to the cross, we are reminded that death can actually be turned to life. When we look to the cross, we're reminded that there is still hope. The dark night of the cross gave way to the dawn of the empty tomb. 